Right, good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Good morning, good morning. It's good to see y'all. Excited for another opportunity to worship together. Hey, we're going to jump into Philippians, so if you have your Bible or your scripture journal, better yet, go ahead and look at chapter 1. If you do not have a scripture journal, please raise your hand, and somebody here will bring one to you in the back there. I don't see anyone there to bring one. Who do, I, who do I got in here? Great, Misty. Thank you. Silas, thank you. All right. Now we have bringers. I, I first I lied to you, but now I'm not lying to you. Okay. Somebody will bring you one now, okay? They will, 100%. So keep your hand raised. Oh, look at that. Okay, lots of hand raised. Lots of books. So keep it up. Keep your hand raised if you love Jesus. You know all these things. It would be great. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to give you this book. Hey, I, I can't say this enough. Please, 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 I want you to take this book, use it as a gift, mark it up, learn to read the Bible for yourself, okay? Please, 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 please. I say it all the time, man shall not live by sermons alone. If all you do is come to church, man, you're just going to miss out on like 99% of what God wants to teach you, okay? By the Holy Spirit who lives in you, by the Word of God. And so one of the best things that I can do for you and one of the things I desire most for this church is that you guys would learn to read the Bible, love the Bible, spend time in the Word of God. And then you come here, and as I say all the time, you get the cherry on top. Get your ice cream from the Lord, okay? So please, please be a person of the word of God. Grow. Even if it's an extra five minutes, just use it. Mark it up. And as I teach, I'm going to help you look for different things that might be good practice for you as you read the Bible for yourself. And so I find this very important. I can't highlight this enough. So take the scripture journal. Use it. Learn to read and love the word of God. And you will grow so, so, so much more uh, than if you just listen to sermons and skim the word here and there, okay? Uh, God has given you the same Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ that he's given anyone else, all right? The Holy Spirit who teaches the word of God. Uh, and so lean into that. All right, so Philippians chapter 1, we have a lot of ground to cover. So you need to like crack it. You're going to be writing down a lot and you stretch. Whatever you got to do because we're about to get to work, okay? This is going to be some work this morning. Uh, we're going to cover all these verses and each one of them is rich to be a sermon in and of itself. So... Uh, it's going to be a great time. Verse 12 is where we begin. We're just going to jump right in. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy. And rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful label for me, Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain here in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you, with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but to you of your salvation, and that's from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The verse 27, if you want to underline that, circle it. Uh, as we read this entire book, many 
uh, people and mostly think this is the main verse in the entire book. It's the one that gives us the best summary of what is Paul doing here and what is he seeking to accomplish. The main statement, and it makes every other thing make sense. From this place, Paul is writing, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Only. It's the only statement that's worthy of the word only in front of it here. Only. Let this be your one thing. If you're going to prioritize anything, prioritize the work of the gospel. If you are going to give your life for one thing, give it to the gospel. If you are going to use one filter by which you make decisions, make it the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let your manner of life, everything you do, say, think, spend money on, relationships you build, let it all be done in a way that makes sense in light of the gospel. This is what he's after, and this is the big picture of this morning, and this is what Paul wants us to learn as we dive into each part of this text. Now, to live a life worthy of the gospel, we first must understand what the gospel is. Maybe some of you came in here this morning, a friend might have brought you, or a family member, or maybe you saw it on Instagram, and you're trying to figure out what is this Christianity thing what is it about the gospel? What do I need to know and understand so that I can make a good decision about whether I should give my life to this Jesus fella? What should I do with that? Well, I'm glad you're here because I'm gonna tell you plain and simple what is the gospel and then I'm gonna give you a chance to respond to that. Simply put, the gospel is this, four words, Jesus in my place. It's the good news that even though my sin has separated me from God, it's the good news that even though I deserve judgment because of my sin, it's the good news that even though sin is a huge and the main significant problem in my life and in all of our lives, there is a solution. The solution to my sin, the solution to the judgment of hell, the solution to avoiding the wrath of God is Jesus Christ, particularly Jesus in my place. Jesus, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect life, a sinless life, a pure life, the one you and I are supposed to live but do not. He came and lived that life for you, for me, in our place. He offers us his perfect life to us by belief and trust. Then he dies on the cross. He dies the death that you and I deserve. The wrath of God comes down upon him, which you and I deserve. And the one who is perfect, pure, and sinless takes on the entire sin of the world, and he pays the debt that you and I owe. He does it in your place. And then he rises again from the dead three days later to prove his victory over sin and death. And he says, if anybody would believe and trust in me, that person would have eternal life. This is the good news of the gospel, that salvation is not by works, but by grace. That the gospel and eternal life is a gift to you that you do not come to church to achieve, that you don't change your life to earn, that you don't do nice things to get. It's the good news that God wants to give you a gift, the gift of eternal life. He did all the work. You simply must receive it. This is the gospel. This is what it means to know and follow Jesus. So the first thing for some of you this morning is have you responded to, received the gift of the gospel? Have you put all your eggs in the Jesus basket? Have you trusted in him entirely for your whole life and for your eternity? This is as far as you need to go in the sermon today if you have not. The Lord brought you here to tell you the gospel and to tell you to respond to him by repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation today. And that is your response to the gospel. And for many of us now, the question is, and for those of you who even decide to follow Jesus and believe in the gospel today, the question then becomes, how do I live in light of that? And for many of us, as we call ourselves Christ followers, the question for us is, does my life make sense in light of that? Does it make sense? Jesus died, rose again, conquered sin and death, gives me salvation as a free gift. My whole eternity is changed, and I now love and follow Jesus. Now, does my life match up with what that is about? That's what it means to live worthy of the gospel. May your life and my life make sense, 
may it be worthy of the good news that we just spoke about and the good news that many of us have received. So a life worthy of the gospel, this is what we're after. I'm gonna give you three categories. We're gonna break this text down in three ways. I think there are three characteristics of a life worthy of the gospel that are here. The first is a life worthy of the gospel rejoices in Christ. The second is a life worthy of the gospel lives to honor Christ. The third is a life worthy of the gospel suffers well for Christ. These three things we're gonna look into today. The first one, a life worthy of the gospel rejoices in Christ. In verse 18, he says, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Paul looks at his imprisonment. He looks at his struggles. He looks at his trials. He looks at all of those things, and his summary statement for it to describe it is, in that I rejoice. And if you want to live a life worthy of the gospel, you're going to have to build the habit and the spiritual character by the grace of God to be able to look at your trials, struggles, difficulties, and pains and say, yes, even in that, I rejoice. That is going to be necessary for us to live this out. So now the question is, how does Paul do this? How does Paul look at his imprisonment and his pain and his suffering? And he looks at it and he says, in this, I rejoice. Well, there's a very important word that's gonna help us understand this in verse 12. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really, or another translation, even a better, I think, more effective way to say it, is has actually served to advance the gospel. Has actually served to advance the gospel. The suffering and the pain has actually done something separate from that. It has done something amazing. It has advanced the gospel. And now this is what Paul does. He has what I would call here the perspective of God's purpose. The perspective of God's purpose. The perspective of God's purpose is what will link your circumstances to his purpose so that it enables you to rejoice in all things. Because now you look at the prison that you are in and you get the perspective of God's purpose. So you look at the prison, you look at the suffering, you look at the trial, you get the perspective of God's purpose on it. And when you see what God is up to, then you have the ability to rejoice in it. We need the perspective of God's purpose. Paul says here, what has happened to me that looks bad has actually served something really good. Has actually served something really amazing. And I know many of you here can testify to the, well, actually work of God in your life. Because your testimony is, I thought this was going to be the end of me, but actually God used it to start something good. You said, I thought this was going to destroy me, but actually God used it to raise me up. You thought, man, I thought this was going to stop me in my tracks, but actually God used it to move me forward. I thought this was the end, but actually it is the beginning. I thought this would shut me up, but actually God used it to give me a voice. Well, actually. This is so important for you and for me. Even Paul here, what appeared to limit his impact actually increased it. Or as the Bible says very specifically, Genesis 50, 20, what they meant for evil, actually God meant for good. Joseph, Genesis 50, 20. Joseph looks at his slavery, imprisonment, trials, betrayals, and he says, well, actually... And in that, he gets the perspective of God's purpose, and it allows him to rejoice. So what is the, well, actually, in your life? Look back on your circumstances and ask for God's perspective. Look at your current circumstances and ask for the perspective of God's purpose. How can you put an actually on your present situation? How can you look back on some of the things in your life that have been difficult and put an actually on it to see God's purpose? For those who trust in Christ, there is a, you thought it was one way, well, actually, it's something altogether else. And that's true for you, that's true for me, and it was true for Paul. 
I love this fact about Paul because now he's in prison and his goal is to share the gospel with as many people as he can. So if your goal is to send a message to as many places as you can, as far as you can, as fast as you can, being in prison would seem to hinder the goal of your life. Being in prison would seem to be a prison and to keep you out of the things you were wanting to accomplish. But this is the beauty of what happens here. What looks like a limitation, God calls an invitation. You need to look at this in your life. Some of you feel like you're stuck in some prison right now that's hindering your ability to fulfill your call or to do what's on your heart or to get to the next thing that God's asking you to do. And God says what looks like a limitation, God is calling an invitation. What looks like it will limit your impact, God wants to use to increase it. What looks like it will slow you down, God's going to use to speed up his work. You need to look at your situation right now the situation, the job that you don't like, the financial difficulties that you're having, whatever it might be, and say what God calls, what I call limitation, God calls an invitation, that in my weakness, God proves himself strong. This is the point of the scriptures to teach us, to say when I am weak, that is when I am strong. And so if that's true, and I want God to be glorified in my life, and I want God to be seen as great, as a matter of fact then, a prison in some weird sense is a good place to be. Because in that place, God is glorified. And now you see, he says, okay, well since I'm here, I'm going to share the gospel with the imperial guard, and they're all gonna hear about it. They're going to go tell their families, and we've seen throughout Paul's life him leading uh, prison guards to Jesus, and their families getting baptized and saved. And then he says, not only is something happening in the prison, but as a matter of fact, outside of the prison, because of my imprisonment, other brothers are preaching the word. And the gospel is actually going forward farther and faster than it would have if Paul was outside of prison. You thought prison would limit Paul's impact. Well, actually... The Lord had bigger plans. You thought your situation would limit you fulfilling your call in life. Well, actually, the Lord has bigger plans. You need to put an actually on where you're at right now. What you call a limitation, God calls an invitation. You thought it was this way. Well, actually, it's something else altogether. I love this picture of Paul. But what's important for us now is that that amazing truth could be misinterpreted Christians love the word breakthrough. And sometimes lots of people mispreach breakthrough as if the well actually has to be that your circumstances got better or that you can draw a straight line between the trouble and your triumph. But that's not how it works. The well actually isn't connected to your comfort or convenience, it's connected to your calling. The well actually isn't connected to things getting good for you. It's connected to the glory of God. So now you hear me. God's not making some kind of promise to you that the well actually will mean that you feel better, get better, and that things go better. But he is making a promise that the two things you say you care most about, God's glory and you being like Jesus, he will make those sure and they will come to pass. So, is your well actually connected to some personal breakthrough, connected to some light at the end of the tunnel, or is it connected to the glory of God being manifest in your life and in your death? This is a theologically strong breakthrough, which could include your personal victories, praise God. He loves to bless you, and he loves to take care of you, and I fully believe that. But his blessing and favor it's not just a sign, not just revealed in when your life goes well, but more often than not, it's revealed and when he's glorified when your life goes bad. The well actually isn't about your comfort, it's about your calling. And God is connecting your circumstances to the calling he has for your life. This is why this next point is important. If I am to rejoice consistently, then I must really love God's glory. 
If I am to rejoice consistently, then I must really love God's glory. Because now, biblically speaking, I can connect the circumstances of my life and the trials and struggles of my present moment, and I can connect it to the weakness I'm experiencing, revealing God's strength, and I connect it to God being glorified in my life, and I can connect it to me becoming more like Jesus. And so if I rejoice in God being glorified, then I'm going to be able to rejoice all the time. Because God is always being glorified. Always. And if I rejoice in God making me more like Jesus, then I can rejoice in this moment because God is making me more like Jesus. What does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? It's that you prioritize the glory of God and being like Christ. And whatever that requires, you rejoice in it. Because that is what I want most. And part of what this message and this text here is going to do, it's going to challenge what we say we want most. We say we love the glory of God. We say we love to become like Jesus. And then we get so frustrated when things in life don't go our way, but we don't see that God's purpose in it is that he would be glorified and that we would become more like Jesus. Is that what you really want most? Question. Really? Because if so, then you can learn to rejoice. Let me give you another sign of the purpose of God in in Paul's imprisonment. I love verse 16. He says, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here. This is when you read the Bible slow enough and you think about it long enough, you begin to notice these little sentences that help you understand what's happening. Paul says, I have been put here. Why? To defend the gospel of Jesus. So then who put him there? Roman soldiers? No, Jesus did. What is he saying? I have been put here in this stinky prison by God. So that I can glorify him in this situation. I am put here for a purpose. And you need to look at your life. And you need to follow the example of Paul. And you need to say, I am put here for a purpose. I am put here for a purpose. God has put me here in this family for a purpose. He has put me here in this job for a purpose. He has put me in this body for a purpose. It is not an accident. It is not a coincidence. And nobody else is more in charge than God. I have been put here. Put some purpose on your life and say, I have been put here. They didn't put me here. They didn't demote or promote. They didn't open or close the door. I have been put here by God. And therefore, this moment is the most significant moment in my life. Because I am put here with a purpose. You need to own that. Take that, whether you like your job or not, whether you like your family or not, whether you like your friends or not, whether you like your body or not, whether you like your circumstances or not, get God's perspective. You have been put here for a purpose. And there's purpose even in your prison. There's purpose even in your prison. Can you rejoice in that time? That's what it means to rejoice in Christ at all times. Here's a question for you. What if your predicament has a purpose? What if your prison has a purpose? It's not really a what if. I'm just getting you to ask the question. It's a it does have one. And that enables you to rejoice. If you can connect your circumstances to the well actually purpose of God for your life, then you're able to rejoice in all things. And this is what Paul says is, number one, a character of those who are worthy, who live a life worthy of the gospel. The second thing, a life worthy of the gospel lives to honor Christ. So a life worthy of the gospel rejoices in Christ, and a life worthy of the gospel lives to honor Christ. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He says, to live 
a life worthy of the gospel means I aim to honor Jesus in everything, whether it requires me living or whether it requires me dying, whether it requires me being stuck in prison or whether it requires me being open and free to do what God has called me to do outside of prison, whether it requires this form of suffering or that form of suffering, whether it requires this situation or that situation, no matter what comes, no matter what it looks like, if I make it my aim to honor Jesus, then no matter what, I always have the opportunity to live a life worthy of the gospel because in life or in death, I have the opportunity to honor him. Do you live your life to honor him, to bring him glory? Is that your sole devotion? Because that's what's going to help you focus in and live a life worthy of the gospel. To say it doesn't matter whether this is good or bad. It doesn't matter how this is going ultimately. Certainly it matters at some level. But I'm just saying, let's just get your eyes on what Jesus is saying. In all things, make it your aim to honor him. To honor him. To lift him up. To love him. To serve him. To worship him. To trust him. To speak well of him. To honor him. And your life will be worthy of the gospel. Well, how do I live a life of honor to Jesus like that? I think one of the elements here is in verse 20 where it says, Paul says, I will not at all be ashamed. I think to live a life that honors Jesus, we need to be free from the fear of shame. Paul says, I have courage. Courage that what? Courage that helps me not at all be ashamed. I love this from Paul because in Philippians 1.20, he says, I will not be ashamed. And I think it's because in Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed. So I will not be ashamed of what the outcome of this is, the glory of God and the gospel, because I am not ashamed of the message I carry, the gospel. The reason I'm in here is because of the gospel. So whatever slander comes my way, I will not receive it because of the gospel. I will not let it speak over me in that way. I will not be ashamed. He can say I will not be ashamed because he also says I am not ashamed. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God because it is the power of salvation. And so he walks into the prison because of the gospel. And so whatever comes on him from the prison is no problem to him because of the gospel. Listen to me. When my confidence and identity is in Jesus, then worldly shame becomes irrelevant because my vindication never came from the world. It always comes from Jesus. So now I'm free. Who cares what you say about me? Who cares what my reputation is because of the gospel? Who cares the slander they put on my name? My vindication didn't come from you. It comes from God. So now he's free. How are you going to honor Jesus if you're worried about what people think? You can't. And so now he says, I will be vindicated by God Almighty on the day I stand before him in front of the entire universe. And you can say all you want now. One day I'll meet you at the feet of Jesus and we'll see who was right. That courage that comes from that, that place of conviction to say, oh, this is true. The Lord is right, and I can receive all the shame from the world because I was never exalted by the world in the first place. My exaltation, vindication, confidence comes from God. Therefore, I will not be ashamed. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 25, 3, those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. How do you get shamed? Will you get shamed? Let's say you get built for money, right? And you say, I trusted that person, and they deceived me, and therefore I look stupid. And so that's the same kind of thing we're afraid of. Step out and share the gospel, I might look stupid. Step out there, I might not know. I might get shamed. And what the Bible says is God will come through on what he promised. Therefore, those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. Nobody on the final day will look at you and say, bad decision. Nobody. That will never happen. And so now you can deal with a little shame, a little worldly shame, a little slander, a little of a bad reputation because of this. They can call you what they want because it doesn't matter. Because one day you will be vindicated. Therefore, you live with confidence, and the confidence allows you to have courage, and the courage allows you to make decisions that honor him. 
So the question is, do you really believe this? Because the courage here, he says, with full courage, that's what you need. If you're going to face death, slander, shame from the world, disrepute, prison, all of that, you need courage. Where does the courage come from? It comes from a conviction that Jesus really is the way and that one day my decision to follow him will be realized and vindicated in front of the whole world. And if you don't have that deep conviction that this is so true, then you will not have the courage. And if you don't have the courage, then you won't be able to make decisions that honor him. And if you cannot honor Jesus in every situation, then it will be difficult to live a life worthy of the gospel. Conviction leads to courage. Paul had this same mindset to say this is the only thing that matters to me. He says in Acts 20, verse 24, I do not count my life as any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. To say I, I don't even consider my life precious to myself. The only thing that's precious to me is that I may fulfill my call to glorify God by sharing the message of his gospel. This is where the Lord is taking us into, a place of true surrender, true conviction, true courage. A place that lives not to be comfortable, but that takes up our cross to follow him. This is where God is calling you even this morning. Those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. The next phrase here, verse 21, if you've grown up in church at all, you know it already. To me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now this word is so super important and I fear for many of us to live as Christ sounds so ambiguous and spiritual that it sounds great but we don't actually know exactly how to live that out and it doesn't make a difference in our daily life like it should because it stays up spiritual word land. And so here's what I want to do to help you. I want to take this phrase, and this is what you should do in your Bible reading as much as you can. I want to bring it down to earth and help us really understand it in a way that changes the decisions we make and the things that we live. I'm going to do this in three ways. I'm going to give you a short statement. I'm going to give you a summary definition I found in a commentary, and I'm going to give you an illustration, okay? So these next three things all exist so that you and I can live the statement to live as Christ. All right, that's what we're after. So the first thing, to live as Christ is to honor every hour. Very simple, to honor every hour, to honor every hour, to honor every hour. If my aim in life is to honor Jesus, big picture, then to live as Christ means every hour and really every second and every minute of my day is directed in this direction to say every hour, every word, every thought submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I give it to him as an act of honor unto his name. To live as Christ means every hour I give him honor. It means my whole life and my decisions and my relationships exist for this purpose, to honor every hour, to not just honor one day at church a week, to not just honor for a few minutes in a devotional app, to honor him every hour, to give your whole self to him. Every relationship, every word, every thought, every action, every decision, it all filters through the question, does this bring honor to Jesus? And that's what it looks like for me to honor every hour. So that's your first quick statement. To live as Christ means to honor every hour. The second thing, I'm going to read this definition I found. It's called the Word Biblical Commentary. Uh, it says this, to say living is Christ is to say that for him life means Christ. Life both physical and spiritual, is summed up in Christ. Life is filled up with, occupied with, Christ. And Christ alone gives inspiration, direction, meaning, and purpose to existence. Paul views his life in time as totally determined and controlled by his own love for and commitment to Christ. To live as Christ means life means Christ. Here's the third thing, a short little example. So, you guys know the difference between I live to eat and I eat to live, all right? So I'm going to help you think through this. Those in the room who say I live to eat, raise your hand. This is just everything's about eating your whole life, okay? Right, right, right. Those who say I eat to live, you're like, I don't really care. I'm just trying to survive out here. Yeah, that's you, okay? Half of y'all didn't even raise your hands. Y'all not eat? Yeah, is everybody, okay. I just want everybody eats in the room, right? 
I just want to be clear, okay? All right, all right. You're just not feeling participatory, okay? Uh, you need to say it too. I, I would assume you guys are eating. So to live to eat or to eat to live. You guys know the distinction. So to live to eat, those are the foodies in the room. Man, these people, they plan everything around where their next meal comes from. When they go on vacation, it don't matter if they're at the beach, where's the best restaurant? That's all that matters. When they're here, when somebody asked them for a, a, a restaurant recommendation from their hometown, man, they would die before they put a, food, a chain food thing in there. They would die before they said, you know, something. They say, oh, here's some real local joint, man. Nobody even knows about us over here off the corner. It's amazing. So that's these, these kind of people, right? They, they just live to eat. They, they plan their whole day around these three meals or however many. They even plan their snacks. I mean, everything is very particular. I live to eat, all right? So you guys know those kind of people. Some of you in here are those kind of people. Eating is the main thing that you are focused on in life and you prioritize bougie places and holes in the walls and you, your identity is found in the restaurants you know, okay? That's like, you're like, I'm cool because I know this spot and you don't, okay? So it's like those underground music people, they know some cool band and you don't, it makes them cool, okay? So that, those are my I live to eat kind of friends. I love y'all very much. I have lots of friends like that. The second category that I find myself in is eat to live. Eat to live. Now this category drives my wife nuts because no matter what she makes, I'll say, oh, that was good. It's just good. Like, that's cool. Like, I just ate it, and now I'm going to go do more important things in life. I'm going to go do other stuff. And no matter what, she's like, I put all this effort into it. I have one of the greatest things I've learned in marriage is to be expressive about whatever she makes, right? So whatever it is, whoa, you know, that just knocked me off. my. That was amazing. I can't wait till you make that again. Super excited. But I'm in that same category as many of you where I eat to live. I, I definitely like food. I don't know if anybody that doesn't like food, you know. I, I definitely prefer Chipotle, Chick-fil-A, okay. These are priorities for me. Uh, but I really don't care at the end of the day. I often even forget to eat lunch. I just eat to live, okay. So when I'm hungry, what's the closest thing I can get? How can it get here the fastest? How can I finish eating it so I can go on with the rest of my day? That's how I view eating. That's how I live. I eat to live instead of live to eat. Now, when it comes to Jesus in the phrase, to live is Christ, to live is Christ is like, to, I, eat, to li I live to eat. To live is Christ is like I live to eat. It consumes everything about me. When I say to live is Christ, I have the same perspective as those of you who say to live, I, I, I live to eat. It's to say it consumes everything about me. I plan my day around it. I share with him, I share about him with as many people as I possibly can. All I do is think about the next time I'm gonna get to be with Jesus. That's all I think about. I plan my day, I have alarm things on my clock, I get up early. All I'm trying to do is get more of Jesus, to live as Christ. How can I get more of his presence? How can I tell more people about him? How can I get more time in his word? How can I take my normal everyday life and navigate it in such a way that I'm with him and I can please him and honor him? This is what it means to live as Christ. But listen to me, so many of us have settled for an eat to live version of Christianity. It's there and you know you need it, but it does not consume you. You come to church just to not feel guilty. You can't remember the last time you cared enough and even implemented the act of sharing the gospel with somebody. Your time with the word is rare, and at best, it's in a quick little app you can read for one minute. Once again, just so your conscience doesn't feel bad. You try to be a nice person because you don't want to be a bad person, and so you do the right things. But it's just eat to live. I know I need it, and I'd feel bad if I didn't have it. I don't really care that much. Live as Christ is to be completely, totally consumed with Jesus. And let me tell you something, that is the only version of Christianity that really exists. Any other version is not true. There is no half-hearted Christianity. There is no version of Christianity that both saves you but doesn't inflame you with love for Jesus. That doesn't exist. So it's a warning to some of you that think you're living as a Christian, but it's eat to live. I want to challenge you. Have you really trusted, received Jesus Christ? Does he consume you? And listen, I understand, and myself included, we all experience the ups and downs. We all experience times where you really want, times when you don't. Times when you're really faithful to follow, times when it's more difficult. That's very normative. I'm not asking anybody to be perfect, and I'm in the same shoes as you. I certainly don't walk around every second of the day just burning for Jesus. I wish I did, and I pray that I will progress little by little. 
And so I want to f- meet you in that place to say, I'm not asking anybody to burn every minute all of, a se- all of a sudden. That'll be heaven, which will be wonderful. But I'm asking you, is a desire for Jesus a priority in your life? And I'm asking you, are you consumed with him as much or better yet more so than the other things you say you love? What do you really love? Please, what do you really love? Are you really a Christian? Are you consumed with him? Because to live as Christ is the only version of living at all. And it's the only version of Christianity at all. So do you live to eat with Jesus or do you eat to live? Where do you land today? And what is the Lord saying to you? To live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, if to live as Christ is so consuming and so focused and it just takes all of us, all of me, all of you, then to die must be gain because therefore I am unhindered in my relationship to him. So the sin in my life and my flesh and the world I live in still hinders me in many ways to this face-to-face relationship with Jesus that one day I will experience perfectly in heaven. So if I love him so much, then dying and being with him then has a different word attached to it, gain. But if to live is not Christ, then dying will not be gain. But if to live is Christ, then dying is gain. It's all about fellowship with him. So this is Paul's perspective of his own life. Now let's look at Paul's perspective of everyone else and why he's here. So he's in this struggle, verse 22 and 23. He says, listen, I would rather go be with Jesus. It's way better, far, far better. It's just more amazing to be with Jesus. Paul says, my personal preference is to go be with him unhindered. But because I know you still need me around, I'm going to stay. He says, hopefully by the Lord's will. He feels convinced of this that I will remain. So Paul says, if I stay here, what am I going to stay here to do? And the two categories in verse 25 are for your progress and your joy in the faith. So Paul says two things work in a hand. His desire is to be with Jesus. It consumes him so much that he'd rather just be with him without any hindrances. But he recognizes the Lord still has a purpose and calling on his life. So he says, if I'm going to stay here on earth, instead of be perfectly with you without sin, without flesh, without the world, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to stay here for one very clear purpose, that you would make progress and find joy in Jesus. So now he says, if you hang out with me, and if you have a relationship with me, you will make progress and grow in your joy for Jesus. Because that's the only reason that he's going to build a relationship with you. It's the main reason. This is why he says in verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to bring glory to Christ. Because I came to you. Look at that. And so now he says, when you relate to me, I am living this life called worthy of the gospel. And I'm consumed with the desire and love for Jesus. So that when you spend time with me, the automatic byproduct is that you now glorify God. Now ask that about your relationships. Man, this text has been kicking my butt all week. Just ask me about my relationships. Is this really true? Is this really the priority of every relationship? To say, when you spend time with me, You cannot spend time with me and not give glory to Jesus. You cannot spend time with me and not make progress in your faith. Because I exist to see these two things come to pass in you. This is not just Paul's priority, but it ought to be the priority of every person who calls himself a Christ follower. That if I'm going to be here, if I'm going to be in this family, then I will do everything I can to make sure these kids progress in the faith, and love Jesus. They can be whatever they want to be. They can be good at school or not. They can be good at sports or not. They can do something that I don't even understand. Don't matter. If they love Jesus and progress in the faith, I've done my job. So it is for your lighthouse, the people you're discipling in your life. The goal is not they would be some version of what the world wants them to be. The goal is that they would make progress in the faith. And here's a word for some of you this morning. God brought you here to say it's time to make some progress. It's time to make some progress. You've been settled in. You've been chilling. Your Christianity is a settled in Christianity. And God brought you here to say it's time to make some progress. 
It's time to make some progress. Stop settling in. Stop being on cruise control. Stop taking it easy. Stop trying to be comfortable. It's time to make some progress. Wake up. Start spending some time with me. Pursue holiness. Break off the chains of that sin. Be involved. Serve the poor. Give your money away. Love Jesus. It's time to make some progress. 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 And for those of you who are in relationships with others where you are discipling them, remember your goal is that they would simply make progress. Just some progress. You're not asking them to be perfect. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm not asking myself to be perfect. The goal of perfection will paralyze you, but the goal of progress will prepare you and release you. It's time to make some progress. Are the people in your life making progress towards Jesus because of you? Listen to this. Your desire will give birth to your determination. If I desire to be with God, then I will determine to live for God. So Paul cultivates a desire. The desire allows him to be determined to live for him. But so many of us try to will ourselves into a place of determination to do the right thing when we haven't cultivated the desire. And that's why I would say all the time around here, our value number one, we prioritize the presence of Jesus. Because ministry is nothing if it doesn't come from a place of love from him. And you're trying to do the right thing. And God's trying to get you to desire the right thing. And so cultivate a relationship with him. Use your scripture journal. Spend time with him. Grow in your desire for him. And the desire will give birth to determination. Stop trying to live for God without living from God. And receiving what he wants to give you so you can go out and live for him. Here's one more thing for you to write down. I told you your hands would get tired. Live your life in such a way that people cannot know you without knowing Jesus more. You should ask the question now. Can somebody or does somebody know me and not know Jesus? That should be impossible. Or is somebody spending a significant amount of time with me but not learning more about Jesus? Does their progress in their relationship with me also mean they're making progress in their faith with God? Does the relationship they have with me stop here, or am I a vessel that it may continue to him? Your relationships exist so that you may bring glory to God. Period. End of sentence. That's the reason God's given you relationships. Everything else is important, but secondary. So do they glorify God because of you? That's number two. Life worthy of the gospel will live to honor Jesus. Finally, a life worthy of the gospel suffers well for Christ. Close on this. DDA, you can go ahead and come up. Here's what I want you to see from this. Verse 29. Now, this is going to be crazy, and it's only going to make sense if everything else makes sense. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. A life worthy of the gospel suffers well for Christ. You want to know something here? This word, granted, has the same root, charis, as grace. It's grace. So when you think. Like charismata, the gifts of God. The charis is the grace of God. And so the word here, literally translated, basically says that God has graced you with an opportunity to suffer. As a matter of fact, the same grace, verse 29, that came to you and allowed you to believe in him, to receive eternal life, is the same grace that came to you to allow you to suffer for him. And I have been struggling with this passage all week because how, how do I look at my trials and say this is a gift and a grace from God and the same grace he used to save me is the same grace that he's giving to help me struggle. This suffering came because of God's grace, not because of punishment, not because of judgment, not out of condemnation. This trial is a gift of God's grace to me. And this is when you're reading the Bible, and this should happen a lot. The Bible just corrects your total understanding of everything. 
and you're like, I would never write this sentence. I would never think this sentence. I would never create this worldview about God. This makes no sense. That God is being gracious to give me a chance to suffer. That suffering for him is a gift to receive by faith. How could that be? How could that be? How in the world could that be? Now, if we can begin to understand this, you're going to really be able to live a life worthy of the gospel because now you're going to suffer like a person who just got a gift, which once again, this makes no sense. This sentence is insanity unless, unless there's a well actually to the situation. This sentence is insanity unless the thing you love the most is the glory of God. You should throw this sentence away unless your main goal is to become more like Jesus. Okay, well, if those things are true, I want God to be glorified. I want the gospel to advance. I want to become more like Jesus. And in every situation, God has a well actually for me to connect my circumstances to my calling. Then I can see it that the suffering I am currently in has been given to me as an opportunity to get the things that I say I love the most. This is deep. This is where you really, you're really walking with God or not. You really begin to understand the deep things of God or not. This is where the Lord wants to take us into this place where I can receive suffering as a gift from him. Not to trivialize it, not to say I love it, not to say I want as much suffering as I can get. No, that's stupid. The Lord doesn't want that. He doesn't want you to go out here and try to get hurt. That's not what he's saying, okay? You don't pursue it. You don't do any of that. But he is saying, when it comes, receive it as a grace from me. Because I will be glorified in it, and I will make you more like Jesus. And the gospel will advance. So if you really love those things the most, then you will receive this with joy. And listen, I'm as far as you probably, on really living that out and working that through. But I believe it with all my heart. And it's really good for God to correct our understanding of him. I don't know what trial you may be in for the sake of Christ. I don't know what your situation may be in. But I want you to ask the Lord his perspective so that you can receive it as a gift. And still pray your way out of it. That doesn't mean you got to love it or stay in it. But that does mean he wants you to have his perspective through it. And ultimately, Christianity has its roots in the suffering of a perfect man. It's suffering that gives you and I life. It's the death of Jesus Christ that allows you and I to live. It's the cross that allows you and I to have a resurrection. And so now we follow our leader. We follow our savior. And in our suffering, we join him as he gives life to us and he uses us to give life to others. A life worthy of the gospel will rejoice in Christ always. A life worthy of the gospel will live to honor him. And a life worthy of the gospel will suffer well for him. Let me pray and let's respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we love you. We honor you. We thank you so much for the well actuallys of our life. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. I pray that you would encourage so many today. I also pray just for challenge in our hearts, Lord. Those in the room that are doing the eat-to-live version of Christianity, Lord, would you call them out of that slumber? God, give them a passion for Jesus. I pray for repentance from sin, for belief in you. I pray for all of us, Lord, every single one of us, watching online, listening in this room. God, we, we want to live a life worthy of the gospel. And we're so far from that every day, Lord. Help us to make progress. Help us to make progress, Lord. May no one be burdened by the whole call to do it all at once. But may we each, by your grace, make some progress today and tomorrow and a little more the next day to become more like you. We honor you, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Would you stand, let's respond to the Lord.